Oh, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brainy, and it is Friday morning, early Friday morning, May, what is it? May 24th, which means this is Memorial Day weekend, one of my favorite holidays of the year. I think I think last year we did a holiday ranking, and Memorial Day was right up there, possibly number one. It's usually jostling between 4th of July for one and two, but what a great weekend. For the first time, I think since I entered the working world, I have off this Friday of Memorial Day weekend, which I'm super pumped about because it's a really fun area around here, and this is like a really fun weekend, so I'm going to go out a little bit, hang out with some friends, hang out with some family, get a lot of like good time in because everyone loves Memorial Day, and we've got a race here on Saturday in Spring Lake, which is kind of a big deal, and then everyone throws a party at their places afterwards, so you jump around from party to party after the Spring Lake 5, and it should be a beach day, so heading over to the Bath and Tennis Club, where that's opening up for the season, and I'm a junior member, and uh, yeah, I haven't been kicked out yet, they haven't, I guess they haven't found my podcast, and all the horrible takes and language I use, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's gonna be a great one, gonna go to DJ's today, possibly some Parker House later, who knows what's in store, but wanted to get a quick podcast in because a couple things to talk about. Uh, first of all, wanted to cover Memorial Day, wanted to go into that, but also after this Memorial Day weekend and after I'm all fried from having so much fun, I'm actually turning around and going right out to California to celebrate my buddy Luke's birthday, or not birthday, his wedding, whoops, Um yeah, pretty pumped about that. Never been to California before. He's getting married in Napa. Uh, I'm staying in Monterey in San Francisco. My girlfriend and I are going out, I think, on we- yeah Wednesday night and should be there for five days. It's going to be a blast. Never been out there. Excited to go to Monterey. Uh, do like a quick day in San Francisco, but doing a spa day and just relaxation day in Monterey where we're looking over the water in like hot tubs, then getting uh, like an 80-minute massage. Uh, like They have the works at some of these spas and resorts and stuff, so this is really exciting stuff. And then I've never actually done like uh, a real you know, winery or vineyard. This is kind of new to me, so when we're in Napa, we're actually going to two of those. And excited to try those, excited to, uh, you know what, do a little bit of wine drinking. I'm, I'm new to wine. And uh, I want to get into it more. I want to be like a, a, I don't have to be a connoisseur, but I want to be into it. I want to be able to hold my own and uh, not have to drink beer every time uh, we're having like a nice dinner. So pretty cool stuff. A lot of fun. Uh, If anyone has any suggestions for San Francisco and that area of California, let me know because uh, I'm going out on Wednesday, which means this will probably be my last podcast until uh, like the, you know, like June 7th or 10th or whatever, cause going to have to take a little bit of a breather, but pretty cool stuff. Uh, I'm sure everyone's got a lot of really fun things coming up. Uh, this is wedding season. Got, uh, got four this year, uh, getting to go to some pretty cool places, going up to Cape Cod to celebrate my cousin Dean's wedding. Then I'll be up in Rochester to my cousin Adele's wedding and I've got a couple friend weddings in between there in Jersey for uh, my buddy Charlie, my college roommate. Uh, that'll be fun in, in Red Bank, uh, so right near where I work. But also uh, uh, my girlfriend's brother, Matt, is also getting married in two weeks. It's, it's 
it's getting packed, getting packed up. And then, of course, 4th of July. So summer, it really, like, I mean, May flies. April and May flew this year. It's already the 24th. And, I mean, June, I'm sure, was going to fly too. But going to get a base tan this weekend and going to take some good pictures in California, eat good, feel good, and have a great time out there. So got a lot of vacationing coming up. But this past month has been all about what's been on the big screen and the small screen. We did all the Avengers talks we could do. Uh, it looks like it's really slowed down and it's not going to catch Avatar's box office record. Uh, I don't know it, it, how close it's going to get, maybe $50 million short. But uh, it, it does look like it's lost too much steam and it's not going to catch it. Uh, I've given you my review on Avengers. It's still... Still that good. You got to go see it. You got to make sure you see all 22 movies because it ties in the movies great. But the other big thing that was happening was not the NFL draft, but Game of Thrones. Now, Game of Thrones has finished up, and a lot of people don't like the Danny heel turn and how it ended with Bran on the Iron Throne. Uh, I, and I, you know what? That's not the ending I would have picked. There are a couple things I want to bring up uh, on this week's final episode of Night's Watch Party. Uh, number one is that I've always been Team Danny. They've built her up as a hero for so long. You know, her music has always been uplifting. Uh, she was the you know breaker of trains. She freed all those people. They called her Misa in that final episode. Uh, you just watched the scene where she arrived on Dragonstone and. And try and tell me that she's like the Mad Queen or that she's a villain. She's not a villain. I know a lot of people are out there saying, how did you not see this coming? And it's because they built her up to be a hero for so long. They, you know, she, yes, she has so many quotes out there that say fire and blood or I will burn this city to the ground if I have to. She has said a lot of that. So it didn't come out of nowhere. But to say you should have expected this as ridiculous because they did build her up for a hero for so long. So to the people that are trying to like stick it to the fans that were shocked, just chill out. All right, relax. People take the show in differently. And to be honest, the cracks in the, you know, Queen Danny's armor really only came this season. The showing of the Mad Queen, it, I think they should have shown her physically break more and that would have helped if they had a longer season if they had a 10 episode season they could have shown her breaking a little bit more but I understand you want it to be somewhat unexpected but they could have easily they could have harped on this much longer she could have lived without uh, uh, Missande for a little bit longer and shown just how alone she is instead we got one scene of that and then plus, when she was flying around in the dragon burning down uh, King's Landing, they didn't show her face like one time. They showed her pissed, and then they basically it was all just Drogon torching the shit. So I would have liked to see more from that. Uh, I just don't think she's always been the Mad Queen. And as much as people want you to believe that, and a lot of the Barstool guys are really getting after it, like they showed sh signs of it, but... It was more of a struggle because she always wanted to be good, even if, uh, you know, she was like gone mad. And I think with losing her advisors was huge and John kind of fearing her 
Also, John was an idiot this season, and he's always an idiot, so it shouldn't have come as a surprise. But I mean, he really isolated her. Uh, he didn't help, and I think that's part of his downfall too. Everyone wanted the Targaryenness of him to matter, and it didn't really come to fruition like a lot of people wanted. And that was my my like kind of upsetting part was, you know. We, we have been waiting this long, this long, long time to find out John's true lineage, which a lot of people knew about, and then they hinted at, and then they finally brought up, and then he finally finds out, and like it, it was a long process, and none of it ended up mattering. Um, one way they could have done it is if they had elected John king, and then John said, "No, I can't be king because." The Unsullied and all who follow Danny are going to want me dead. And that's just going to start another war, and we need to stop the wars. We should elect someone who wants peace and will bring peace. And then that's when Tyrion should have said, how about Bran? I think that would have been a very moving part. I think they could have included that. And by not including it and just forcing him to the wall, like, unexpectedly, I think that's a disservice to Jon Snow's character. Like, they brought him back, and now it seems like the Lord of Light and all that prophecy and everything, it was really just to take care of the knights, uh, of the Night King, which I understand, you know, is the Lord of Light versus the Night King was kind of like the big war. And if the whole idea of keeping Jon Snow alive and keeping Beric Dondarrion alive was so that... Uh, they c that John could bring everyone together, like bringing ice and fire together. That was kind of just to beat the Night King. I understand that they needed that many people, and then they needed to keep Arya alive. So I understand that it was all part of like a long-term play, kind of like in Avengers when, when you know Doctor Strange was like, it had to happen this way. I assume that the Lord of Light knew and. Uh, uh, Melisandre knew that it had to happen a certain way and Arya had to be at a certain place at a certain time and she had to have that much protection yeah I'm okay with that I just um, I'm a little bummed that Jon really just went north and is like alone uh, I just I don't know I, I had higher hopes for him uh, so I think if he chose not to be king that would have been great because you know, throughout this whole series, we knew he didn't want things. He just did for the better of people. And that would have been a nice way to tie it up with him. I did like that they ended the series the same way they started with, like, you know, going out beyond the wall. But this time there was, like, really nothing to fear that I kind of liked. Um, obviously, the other big change I'd make is that Cersei and Jaime should have died by Dragonfire, and they shouldn't have been that easily found by Tyrion. I thought that was like kind of like an easy escape. Uh, I was like, come on, really? Like, like they just happened to be underneath this thing of bricks. Like, if they had been standing ten feet to the right, they'd be alive. It shouldn't have been that easy for Tyrion to find them, and it shouldn't have been that like isolated with the brick falling. I think they should have been able to escape and then Danny see them at the back and almost like, let's say, one of the Unsullied soldiers overheard what Tyrion told Jamie and told Danny, and then Danny was there at the perfect time saying, hey, guess what? I'm going to torch you now. And then they die in each other's arms. And then when Tyrion sees two people kind of like burnt to a crisp and he sees the golden hand that could have been his moment to see that. And then he would have been pissed that instead of they just died by rubble, that 
she literally torched them. I think that would have been another better finish for them. Um, and then the whole Lightbringer thing. We never had the Princess Promise, Azora High. Uh, I would have liked if John stabbed Danny and his sword became Lightbringer. Uh, but again, that's just book prophecy that I really wanted. Uh, it, all in all, it's still the best show of all time. And I don't want one finale to take away from that. If you didn't like it, that's okay. That's your choice to not like it. Um, I understand a lot of people had some high expectations, so I'm not going to tell you you can't like it. I'm not going to tell you you have to like it. So uh, I just, you know what, if you want a positive spin, that's what I'm here for. I mean, I'm a Browns fan. I can spin anything to make you uh, positive or optimistic. So if you want to feel better about the finale, come to me. But honestly, I think you should just rewatch the series and <laughs> you're going to be in season two and realize... God, these episodes are so good. They kill off everybody. So many great characters that have to die in this show. But that's just how good the show was. So the fact that they ended a little bit stale, I say, you know what? They had to kill 50 good characters to get to that. So give them a break. Uh, it's a great show. And part of it was the fact they had a great ensemble. Not the best ensemble. Um, but... I mean, just one of the best. I would still say The Wires is the best ensemble out there. And we actually had a little bit of a debate about this, uh, about what the funniest ensembles were. Because right now, now I'm watching Veep. Because now it's like, okay, what are you going to fill with that giant Game of Thrones-sized hole? And I'm re-watching Veep with my girlfriend, and I actually didn't watch the final two seasons, so that's going to be new to me as well. And, and that's the funniest show on TV. And now that that's over, too... It's, it's going to be tough when that finishes because uh, some of the funniest shows ever, to me, have ended recently. And one is about to end too. So without further ado, a quick top five on the top five funniest TV ensembles. Number five is New Girl, which ended a year ago. I know it's not a huge ensemble, but the guys they have that are the roommates of Jess are just hilarious like Winnie the Bish has his own like like brand which is hilarious uh Jake Johnson I am a huge fan of and Max Greenberg I mean playing Schmidt is just like one of the best funniest characters out there their whole dynamic didn't change much throughout the series and the bulk of the show but it is one of the best comedy ensembles period even if it was just three guys and a girl for most of it. There were other people that came in here and there, but for the most part, it was those three guys and one girl kind of carrying it. Um, number four is Parks and Rec, obviously. I mean, I'm a huge Parks and Rec fan. Uh, from Ron Swanson is, you know, is played by Nick Offerman, and Andy Dwyer, played by Chris Pratt, are two of my former Halloween costumes. I mean, that's how much I've enjoyed that show is playing... Well, technically, I was playing Andy Dwyer playing uh, Burt Macklin. But that and Ron Swanson, just, just it's a very quotable show. Uh, they can be carried by the non-focused like focused characters. Uh, Aziz playing Tom ha uh, Haverford is another great one, too. And then April Ludgate. Like, they just have a, a really great large cast. And I don't have The Office in my top five because I think The Office was less funnier character I mean very funny characters 
but it was more so the writing and the delivery of basically Steve Carell that really made that show. Uh, in terms of ensemble, I felt like it was just an ensemble of a bunch of really funny writers. And uh, they delivered well together. But they're not in my top five. Number three is Shit's Creek, which ends next year. Uh, Dan Levy and his dad, Eugene, have created just an absolute killer foursome of that family with Annie Murphy and, uh, gosh, Kevin! What's her name? Uh, uh, O'Hara, Catherine O'Hara from, uh, from Home, Home, Home Alone movies. It's the funniest family. Uh, well, not the funniest family. Sorry, I'm jumping the gun there. But a four-person team, just like New Girl, of, of a small crowd, but they each have made the show hilarious, where I have laughed out loud at each of them, and they are just, just, you know, I mean, there's not much to say. If you don't watch Shit's Creek, you have to, uh, especially since there's only one season left that they're just started filming. So get to it. And number two, this was really tough. I had one and two jostling. I changed this order actually a couple times, but my number two is Veep. Uh, it, it's such a great cast, and it was so hard for me to not put them at number one, but my number one, you're going to understand why. Um, the number two, though, being Veep from uh, Elaine, did, not Elaine, um, from Julie Louis-Dreyfus, who does a great job and has won multiple Emmys for her role as, you know, the Veep, uh, but also, you know, you know, spoiler alert, she becomes president, she then doesn't become president, and there's also two scenes I don't know about, but Mike McClintock, and uh, Jonah Ryan, and Sam Richardson, who plays uh, Richard Splett, like, they have such a deep, Gary Cole, who plays Kent Davidson, they have such a deep roster of really funny people on there that rarely get enough screen time. I'm begging for more screen time for every character, yet they just... And, and even when they add like one season of Patton Oswalt and one season of, uh, of Jonah's Uncle Jeff, like they just absolutely kill it. And I know part of it is that they're on HBO, so they're allowed to deliver lines better because they're allowed to curse, but it is... It's, it's possibly the funniest show out there. It's right there with number one for me because number one is Arrested Development. Uh, Tony Hale is in both of these top two shows, and you know, rightfully so. He does a great job on Veep as, as basically uh, the bag man, but then amazing job as Buster Bluth in Arrested. Uh, another Halloween costume of mine back when... Uh, all the brainies dressed up as the characters of Arrested Development. I got the uh, the fortunate pull of uh, Steve Holt, where I basically just had to wear like a striped shirt and my Letterman's jacket. But uh, another one where it's just every scene you're like, I need more of Job. I need more of Michael. I need more of Lucille Bluth and uh, and George Bluth are are like probably the funniest couple on television. Uh, I know they kind of lost their way once they went to Netflix, but the first three seasons, I mean, how does Fox screw that up? Because they had the funniest show on TV and they didn't know how to handle it. It's it's really a shame that there wasn't more there. But uh, you know what? It's still just the best ensemble. Uh, it, it's really hard. It's a right, right there with Veep, but I have it 
beating Veep by just a little bit. So there you go. Number five, New Girl. Number four, Parks and Rec. Number three, Shits Creek. Number two, Veep. And number one, Arrest Development for my top five funniest TV ensembles. Uh, Arrest Development, they keep on making, but it's not the same. Veep just ended. Shits Creek is ending. Parks and Rec, New Girl, all just ended. So I'm I'm in need of some new comedies because uh, I'm, I'm losing my shows. Uh, losing my shows for now. For now, that is. All right, before I finish up with uh, my movie review of the week, I uh, do want to do a quick sports update. Right now, we're heading into the NBA Finals. The Raptors just took a 3-2 lead on the Bucks. Uh, it's weird not having the Cavaliers kind of just get there this year. But um, you know what? This East has been a really tight... Uh, some of these games have been really fun to watch, and uh, watching Kawhi and Giannis has been great, but... Uh, I put in money on the Warriors to win at a time I knew they were going to win, and there was a nice odds boost. And uh, look, I'm I'm not rooting for them, but I want them to win. Because as a Cavs fan, that win for the Cavs looks that much better with every win the Warriors have. Knowing that they needed to get Durant if they wanted to beat that Cavs team, and that without Durant, I mean, they wouldn't have beaten the Cavs in 2017. A lot of people believe that, and I do too. I know it was 4-1, but two of those games went right down to the wire that they ended up losing. And uh, and without Durant, they probably would have won that series because the games when they shut down Steph and when they shut down Clay, those guys have bad shooting nights and Draymond didn't do much, was the night that... Kevin Durant went for like 45 and pulled up from like 50 feet for like a dagger. It wasn't 50. It was like 30, but like for a dagger three that ended up like just killing us. That was, I mean, that was it. They took that 3-0 lead and it was like, oh man, like Cavs soared in game four. If they had held on in game three, we're talking about a, a series even with Durant there. So it was tough, but you know what? As a Cavs fan, uh, Seeing the Warriors win, it just reminds me that 2016 was such an amazing run. Uh, but after the Sixers were eliminated in round two by uh, uh, by the Toronto Raptors, Joel Embiid was crying in the locker room with his girlfriend. A lot of cameras caught it. And I'm seeing a lot of people argue saying, like, bah, ha, 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 you know, oh, what a, what a bitch, Joel Embiid. And then a lot of people are like, he's allowed to cry. It shows how much of a tough guy he is. And I'm like, both of you are right because, number one, I, I support like people that cry after a tough loss like that. It means you give a shit. It means you care. And I've cried after losses both for my teams that I've played on and my teams I rooted for because I care that much. And I've cried because like I put my heart and soul into my teams and – you know, when you come up just short, it sucks. So I get it. I understand why he's crying, and I like to see that from Joel Embiid because it makes me like him a little bit more. But for people to say he doesn't deserve criticism, like, you're wrong because Joel Embiid talks so much shit. So when his season ends and when his team loses, like, people are ready to bounce on him because he talks so much shit throughout the year. So... I don't like when people say you can talk shit, but you can't take it. Like you need to give it. Like I don't like when people talk shit about your team and you say, "Oh, what what team do you root for?" And you're like, "Oh, I don't have a team." Like, well, then you don't have anything at stake. So 
if you can't bring anything to the table, you can't like talk shit at the table. And this was Joel Embiid's table. He lost, and this is his time to get yelled at. <coughs> Sorry. And uh, I know a lot of people don't want to hear that side of it, but I, I honestly believe him. Like, look, Joel Embiid shouldn't be talking that much shit if he doesn't want people to talk shit about him when his season ends. And he can't hide behind crying. Like, that just doesn't work. Uh, that's my take on crying, at least. But my other one, and this one is a lot more fun to me. Um, Browns had their OTAs, uh, which is, uh, like, you know, a lot of teams have different dates for them. Remember, these are voluntary people. Uh, uh, you know, they're optional. You don't have to be there. It's good if you are, but a lot of people forget what the word voluntary means. And as much as I want to see my players there and the guys that play for the Browns at OTAs because I want them believing in what they're playing for and wanting to be there, I understand that. It's like, look, if you train on your own and you get your health right, there are a couple guys getting hurt in OTAs that you're like, why the fuck are we getting hurt here? So I understand. Um, big thing from OTAs, my takeaway, wasn't that Odell you know, went to one day and then skipped because... Uh, people forget that like half the Browns skipped the rest of OTAs. They went to like the first one, and there was just a bunch of backups there with uh, Baker Mayfield, because Baker's the man. Um, but after OTAs, Baker Mayfield was doing an interview, and he said hi to Tony Grossi and kind of singled him out, and people chuckled. And then Tony stuttered on his words, and, and uh, Baker was like, what's wrong, Tony? You flustered? Now, everyone loved that. First of all, it's fun to see your quarterback kind of joking around, because that's what he was doing, joking around with the media. And secondly, you know, Tony Grossi said he'd quit if the Browns drafted Baker Mayfield. So, and he hasn't really addressed that ever since. And Baker Mayfield has been the best thing that's happened to the Browns in quite some time. So with that being said, you know, it just makes me think, uh, he, Tony, yeah, you have this coming. Or at least if you, you owe someone an apology, you owe someone like a picture or a tweet, it, it needs to be out there if you want people to move on from this. Goldhammer said he would eat shit if the Browns drafted Baker Mayfield. He did. He ate the shit. It took him a while, but he ended up doing it on air, and he did it. And now people don't criticize him anymore because he, he, he manned up and ate the shit. So I think Tony's got to eat the shit. Not the physical shit that Goldhammer ate, but... He needs to say, you know what, I was wrong. Baker Mayfield, this guy is the right guy for the Browns. And instead of turning every leaf possible to be like, you know what, the moment Odell skips a practice, I'm going to write about it and say, is there trouble in Berea? God, it's, re it's exhausting. So after all that being said, Grossi takes to Twitter, or no, he doesn't take Twitter. He talks to someone else who tweets what Grossi said, and Tony goes, I didn't like that. It was embarrassing, and he singled me out, and it shouldn't happen, and it was unprofessional. And it's like, are you fucking kidding, Tony? I mean, if you can dish it out to the players, players are allowed to dish it back. Uh, that's like, bottom line. If you can't take it, you should not be serving it up. And this goes a little bit in line with what I said about Joel Embiid, and that Joel Embiid talks shit. He better be ready for people to talk shit back to him when he's crying at the end of the season. Tony Grossi says he's going to quit if Baker Mayfield's the quarterback, and then he doesn't like being singled out by Baker Mayfield. Colin Cowherd doesn't like being singled out by Baker Mayfield. And Odell Beckham, when he talks shit about them and calls Baker a bust, and then says the Browns are, are, aren't a brand, yet he talks about them on every Friday. Talks about them multiple times a week, 
And then his every Friday segment is, what does he want to talk about the Browns so that he can get good weekend ratings of people, clicks and views and stuff. And he knows this. He's pointing it out that every time a Browns fan brings something up and it, it makes it puts food on his plate. I'm like, all right, so we are a national brand. Just because we've been bad for that long doesn't mean we aren't. We have fans everywhere. The Browns backers of America and the Browns backers of Europe, they're fucking everywhere. So it's time people start to recognize. And it's, I mean, you know, I'm going to defend the Browns every time I come on here. But And if you want to talk Browns with me, I know a lot of people don't come on here to listen to me talk about the Browns. But if you do want to talk Browns, my DMs are open. And I will talk at length about why I think they are a national brand. Um, are they the Cowboys, Steelers, Packers? No. No, they're not. But they have a fan base. And people are saying, oh, they don't have the same fans as the Packers. I mean, yeah, we do. We've just been losing a lot. And we're, we're loud when we lose, but nobody listens to us. Now they're listening to us because they're like, oh, shit, the Browns might actually be good. And John Dorsey wants us to temper our expectations. Uh, sorry, John, not going to happen. We're going to be fucking pumped. So that's going to continue. Anyway, that's it on the Browns. My final segment today. Really excited about this. One-minute movie review. John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. <coughs> okay. In the final installment, or not-so-final installment, of the John Wick series, we see John Wick running, starting, and the movie starts with him with an hour, basically, to get out and get free. And instead of running away in that hour, he <laughs> sews up his bullet wounds and he takes to fighting New York and basically just fucking wrecks havoc on everyone. Uh, the first hour of this movie is just jam-packed action. Some of the best action sequences, period. And some of the best fight scenes I have ever seen. The choreography and the sound editing of these fight scenes are perfect. And I think it's better than the second John Wick movie. I think it's... Right there with the first one, I'm going to say it's a little bit cornier than the first one, but the fight scenes are that much better in this movie. Uh, dragged on a little bit, and I noticed that it was going to do that when it, it seemed like they were going to be uh, falling into a third movie, because I was dozing off a little bit at the end there. All in all, this movie... I mean, Keanu Reeves is John Wick now. It's crazy. Lights, camera, barstool guys were saying this the other day. I never thought I would think of Keanu Reeves as a different character other than the ones that I already know him, like knew him for. And the fact that John Wick has become his character is insane. He's done a great job with it. It went from originally just a guy wanting dog vengeance to a guy that kills to stay alive. And uh, that's what you want from every action hero. Is a guy that has to kill because he needs to kill, not that he wants to kill. That he needs to kill to stay alive and protect the ones he loves, whether it's his dog or his dead wife or like his friends. That's what he does. They leaked it pretty well into a fourth one. It's going to start with him basically on the hotel premises with like a thousand other hitmen coming after him. I'm going to love that one. It's coming out in two years, 2021. So, uh, you know, <laughs> you have time to see the first three movies. Uh, in terms of where John Wick is on the all-badass team, he's right up there at the top. We're going to get to that in a second. But my movie score for John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum, 
is, I believe I'm going with a 91. Uh, in, in, because I rank action movies differently, you know, based on what they bring to me. And, uh, you know, it's obviously a 91 might be a better score than some drama movies. And it doesn't mean it's better than some of the dramas. It's just, this is what I went for the theater for. To turn off my brain and see some nonstop badass action. Uh, the first fight scene uh, with Boban was great. Uh, I thought he did a really good job for an actor, you know, as a, as a basketball player acting. But the first, like, group fight scene where he's chucking knives and shit is the best fight scene I've ever seen, period. And, uh, I mean, Keanu Reeves kills it in that all the fighting choreography in that scene, I, I, I can't get enough of it. I'll go back to the movie theaters just to see that one scene. And I'll leave after it because I was like, "Good, I, I, that's all I need." Because that had me so hyped, I was like giggling, giggling in my seat. And my girlfriend's looking at me like, "Oh my god, you really fucking love this?" I'm like, "It's so good. It is so good." So I give it a 91 uh, in terms of action movies. It's right up there at one of the best action movies I've ever seen because of the f uh, fight sequences. Uh, in terms of you know, I mean, it's still kind of like a corny movie. I like the corniness of the first and second one better than this one uh, because they totally bought into the corniness. This one, I just felt like uh, they were going through the motions at times, but it is, uh, it's great. It's its right up there uh, with some of the best Die Hard movies, with some of the best James Bond movies. John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum, get to the movies and go see it. So, all right, before I let you guys go, my last thing here. And I really wanted to do this earlier. I've been working on this list for like two weeks. And I was super bummed when the Lights, Camera, Barstool guys did their all-time movie badasses list. Because I'm like, no, I was working on this. I had a point system and everything. I had. I was originally going to do a top five uh you know, of this list. But I had to expand it to top ten because the, the results were so close. So... Uh, in terms of, and and I'll just uh, I'll just go right now. It's it's not movie badass as I went with. It's it's movie action heroes, or I'd say assassins, agents, and adventurers. So that could be a lot of different things. But the one thing I I wanted to do is I I wanted to make sure I didn't include fantasy characters and sci-fi characters, right? Because that could be. You, know, you can have a lot of people in fantasy and sci-fi that are, are killing it, but it's like, eh, it's not the same scale. I want people in the real world. Um, I also don't want superheroes or um, super, like, like comic book characters because, again, that, that brings in a different, like, unquantifiable aspect that's like, how do you compare them? The only one that would be comparable is, like, Tony Stark. Um, but again, like, uh, I'm not actually like the biggest Iron Man and Tony Stark fan. So I just wanted to not include any of the, uh, Avengers or any of those characters right off the bat. So this list, and I also gave points based on, and here's, here's the point system. We based it on actors performance, the badassity, the fight scenes in their movies, their accomplishments, so if they're not killing people, what are they doing? Uh, the kills they have, the numbers of kills they have, the numbers of movies they have, and their romantic interest as a bonus. Now, so I'm not ruling out TV characters, 
but guys like Ray Donovan and Jack Bauer aren't on here because I'm talking about big screen movie action heroes. Who do you go to the movies to see their movies? Because that's what I was feeling with John Wick. I'm like, I haven't been this excited for a John Wick movie since like, or for like an action hero movie since like the last Bond that came out. And that was kind of like a, a, a flop. So it made me think, who are my favorite action heroes? Who are the best ones that I'm like, I will put down whatever I'm, I'm doing, grab a bucket of popcorn, and go see this action hero because that's what I love about the movies is that I can like turn off my brain and just go and enjoy this. So a lot of people to consider, right? I mean, you can include like Alex Cross had, had a movie. Only one, but he had a movie. Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan has decades worth of movies. How about Mad Max? Or Benjamin Gates in the National Treasure movies. You have the Terminator, Sarah Connor, John Connor. You have Bruce Lee movies and Clint Eastwood movies. Paul Newman, Robert Redford characters. You have Starsky and Hutch. You have Jack Reacher. I, there are so many people to consider here. Shaft. Neo Anderson. But that was a little bit on the fantasy side. Uh, I also didn't include Tolkien or George R.R. Martin. Uh, and I, I wanted to only include people with multiple movies. So, with that being said, my top 10 action heroes are... Number 10. It's a tie between Martin Riggs and Roger Murtaugh. This one was kind of like a, a, a bit of a cheat, but since they work together and it's one of the best buddy cop franchises, I'm talking, of course, about the Lethal Weapon movies, uh, I wanted to include them in there together. Uh, played by Danny Glover and uh, Mel Gibson... The Lethal Weapon movies are pretty awesome. Uh, there's only so much cops can do in movies. Uh, there's going to be another cop on this list, so I'll get to that. But most of the time, cops have like small-time crooks, and uh, it, it really doesn't have like very big implications that some of these guys are dealing with. So the fact that Murtaugh and Riggs were able to have that many movies and make it like really good, it, it says a lot, you know, because it's not like the plots were ever that awesome. They were just two of the better, you know, it was the best, like, buddy cop out there. And it made Starsky and Hutch look like fucking Barney. So, I don't know, just something to consider when you're looking at the badassity of these characters, all right? Uh, number nine, uh, Chan Kakui. He is from, the, he's the main character that Jackie Chan plays in the uh, Inspector Chan slash, uh, what do you call him? <clears throat> uh, sorry, I keep coughing. Uh, the police uh, story movies. Those movies are great. And uh, if I'm being honest, this character and my next, uh, kind of a bit of a cheat because there were so many times that I saw these movies at my cousin Derek's house that I thought Jackie Chan played the same character just in different movies. Now, uh, I know that doesn't really help, but that's why there are toward that he's towards the bottom on this point system because it's a bit of a nostalgia factor for me. I go back to a lot of his movies and think just how cool and how choreographed these action scenes were. Even the ones where they dub it over with the horrible English and, and everything like that, it was still, to me, really awesome movies. Uh, and, and I really like Jackie Chan, and, and this was one of his better characters out there. He didn't need funny movies. There was a Jackie Chan well before the Rush Hour movies and his kind of, like, you know, goofier action movies he has a lot of really good ones that are like lethal all right 
which takes me right into number eight, Frank Ducks. Uh, <laughs> Frank Dukes from, whatchamacallit, Bloodsport, uh, played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. Again, this is another one where uh, I, I every time I saw a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, I thought he was just Van Damme. I didn't, I didn't know any better. I was a young kid, and it was just like, to me, it was just another Van Damme movie. And I didn't know he played different characters. I thought he was just different adventures of Van Damme. So, again, kind of cheating the system here, but his lethal like action and the fact that like every movie he's killing and it's martial arts, it's all really cool stuff. He's has to be included in this list. All right. But wanted to get those, those, you know, bottom three out of the way because I had to kind of go through loopholes. This though, this is where it gets good. Number seven is John Rambo. Uh, I mean, could have gone a lot of, there were a lot of people on this list, you know, the Terminator, John Rambo are two that really stick out in terms of like when I was growing up, these movies were out there and it was just an absolute killing machine. Uh, Sly Stallone, I've gained a lot of respect for after watching him do so many movies and seeing him in the, even the Creed series doing just like a, a phenomenal job of still playing Rocky Balboa, but like a completely different Rocky Balboa. He's done a great job with that. And this list wouldn't be complete without John Rambo. Uh, even if he's not really in, like, an agent or an assassin, he is an action hero. But maybe that's why he's not higher. Number six, The Bride from the Kill Bill movies, Uma Thurman. Again, the best action movie scene of all time. The best kill scene or fight scene, however you want to put it. Kill Bill Volume 1. When she takes on the crazy 88 and slices them all up with her Hattori Hanzo sword, the choreography and the sound and the lack of sound, and then they switch to black and white at the perfect time, and they blink back into color later. The whole scene is done so perfectly that I will just watch that scene on end. Like, that's fine for me. Uh, and, and again, the second movie was great too. Uh, there were some really, I, I love Quentin Tarantino movies, and uh, she's the only Quentin Tarantino character I have because they usually don't recur roles. Usually, Quentin Tarantino characters have a one and done, but with Uma Thurman, he made two movies out of it, and that was the plan the whole time, and and it, she, she fucking killed it. She was awesome, and I mean, by far the most badass woman that was considered for this list, all right? Number five, getting to the top five. I, I needed to include all those guys because I didn't want to just go into five because these are where a lot of the popular ones come in. Uh, I went with Ethan Hunt from the Mission Impossible series. Uh, again, secret agent uh, for MI6. He, you know, the Mission Impossible tasks and not MI6 because that's like the British one, but um, whatever, He MIF. Uh he's done some good, some, like, they vary movies, right? Like, each movie varies in the Mission Impossible franchise, but the last two might have been the best ones, and Fallout might be the one of the best action movies I've ever seen. And Ethan Hunt, even though you always know he's going to live, and he's always going to save the day, and he's always got tricks and gadgets and stuff, uh, had to keep him on this list because he is one of the best agents in the game. He's probably the best secret agent, uh, at least American, hint, hint, uh, 
and Fallout what just really launched him up this list. Uh, I wanted to include Jack Reacher on this list, but again, only two movies as opposed to Mission Impossible where there's been six. And Tom Cruise has been the only one to play Ethan Hunt and has done an awesome job at it. One day they'll have to eventually replace him because he's he's like my parents' age. He's he's I think he's like fifty seven years old, so I think it's time that I mean, it's not time for him to stop. We can keep keep doing it. I say keep doing it, especially since Fallout was so good. But um, it's it, it's not going to last forever with Ethan Hunt. Number four, a guy that also might not last forever with is John McClane from the Die Hard series, specifically Die Hard with a Vengeance. But I love all the Die Hard movies. Uh, Again, I was saying it before with Riggs and Murtaugh, it's hard to make cops that awesome because they cover such a small ground. And in the first Die Hard movie, if I said before Die Hard with Vengeance, it's the first Die Hard that's really the best, but um, I just, I love Sam Jackson too. But you look at what he has to do in the first one, it's like counterterrorism. he's on his own, he's a New York cop, acting on his own in the uh, Nakatomi Plaza in LA, he is in a really impossible situation, yet he's an action hero and he just fucking kills it in that movie. If you don't love John McClane, I don't know what to tell you because I really shouldn't have to be able to sell my list. Number three is James Bond, uh, international spy. He's as cool as it comes, right? There have been some misses and obviously he has a better lead because he's been doing this, you know, James Bond for 50 years uh there's about to be the 25th james bond movie is coming out i think next year uh daniel craig has done an excellent job uh when you look in and you compare all the all the movies that everyone has done uh he's up there with one of the best with connery i don't think pierce brosnan is that high but they're definitely ahead of pierce brosnan roger uh um moore daltrey and uh yeah, I, I mean, I think Daniel Craig has done a great job. Even though he doesn't want to do it anymore, they're going to move on eventually because these movies are still that good. And every year, you're able to do more stuff with your, like, you know, the filming that they're they're able to make cooler things and cooler gadgets on the screen. And uh, I hope it's Idris Elba. I think he'd be a good James Bond. And uh, I just go back to, I thought Skyfall was great. I thought... Parts of Spectre were very cool. It's one of the more misleading movie trailers because I fucking loved the movie trailer. I thought the movie was going to be so phenomenal. And uh, they kind of made, you know, a one-dimensional bad guy out of who could have been the best uh, in Christoph Waltz. Because I thought Christoph Waltz, you know, he's one of the better bad guys, better villains from his Inglorious Bastards. Uh, I was like, man, I was really excited. And they kind of made him very one-dimensional and uh, just like, you know, you know a cookie-cutter bad guy. But in terms of just being a badass, so cool, sex appeal, because he's always got fucking like hot women in his movies where he's like, oh, it's James Bond. He's just like, he's, he's with the most, you know, the most famous up-and-coming, you know, beautiful woman in, in, you know, the movies right now. But that's kind of like his thing is that he's a womanizer and, and uh, I mean, Casino Royale, nobody knew any of that cast before that movie came out. And then that movie comes out and everybody's like, oh man, Eva Green. 
and Daniel Craig and, and everyone else in it. It's like, oh, these guys are awesome. It's like the movie kind of came out of nowhere. No one wanted a blonde James Bond, come to think about, you know? But James Bond, just like, what a cool secret agent and definitely worthy of a top three selection on this list. Uh, number two for me is Indiana Jones. Huge nostalgia factor here. He is the adventurer's adventurer. He is like the best adventure hero out there, period, where he doesn't get the most kills because that's not really his thing. He's a, you know, he's a professor. Uh, he lacks in kills he gets and recovers in uh, what he finds for like, you know, pieces of history that belong in a museum. Uh, I was a little kid. I wanted to be Indiana Jones. I was him for Halloween for like three straight years. Uh, we went to Disney World and I dressed up as him. It was, I mean, he was like my favorite hero growing up. And uh, he had always had a little bit of the stubble I thought was a really cool look too for Harrison Ford. And he was just, I mean, he was just the best. It, it, it's hard to have him not as number one on this list. Um, but I'll get to that in a second. But in terms of just being cool and being an adventure hero, there was the music from the Indiana Jones movies. There was just like the fact that it was always like he was escaping peril. He's, it's hard to have him not as my number one, but he's my number two in terms of action heroes. Number one, you'll say recency bias, but I say it's just true, is John Wick. Everything I said before about Keanu Reeves, his fight scenes are incredible. Whether it's guns or knives or swords or just fighting with your hands, he has become John Wick. I mean, he used to be, to me, Neo Anderson or the ex-Ohio State quarterback, which he plays in like four of his movies. Um, but it's he's really taken on a role that no one thought was going to be any good, and now it's one of the best action movie franchises ever. The John Wick series is probably higher than the Die Hard series at this point. It's higher than Lethal Weapon. It's, I mean, it's higher than any of the Jackie Chan or Jean-Claude Van Damme ones. Uh, I'd say it's right up there with Die Hard and, and Mission Impossible for the best action movie se like series ever. It's unbelievable that this movie was given like no chance to succeed and has become that good. Uh, it's a phenomenal movie, John Wick 3, and uh, I can't wait for the fourth installment because John Wick, the assassin, he's the only assassin on here. Everyone else is either a secret agent or an adventurer or, or a cop, and he's the assassin on here, but he's an assassin with like a code, you know? He, he only kills bad guys, and now he only kills to keep himself alive. It's crazy that they've made a killer that likable. But that's, that's so it goes. Anyway, oh, I guess it's a shorter podcast. We're looking at 50 minutes plus. But still, uh, I'm about to go enjoy my Memorial Day weekend. Hope you guys do too. Nice four-day weekend starting right now. Have fun. Be safe. Be smart. Talk to you guys later.